All right, church, we're going to continue through the book of Mark. So if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles out. Turn to chapter 2 of Mark. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But I want to encourage you, listen, always bring your Bible, whether it be on your phone, whether it be on your iPad, or whether it be in written form like this. Bring your Bibles. Have them open. Be ready. Because here's the deal. Many times this, this right here on the screen is going to go away. And you need to be anchored to the Word of God so that you can be making sure that when the preacher's preaching, that they're in the Bible, that you see what they're saying. This is the truth. This is authoritative, not me, not the preacher. So if you would, turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and follow along as I read. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. All right, so we're continuing in the book of Mark, and Jesus is on the move once again. We see this, right? And his entourage is growing along with his fame. And, and I suppose that's, that's to be expected, right? Because when you are preaching with authority like he is, when you're casting out demons, when you're, when you're telling the lame to get up, to rise, to pick up your bed and walk, and they do that, well, I guess it should not be surprising to see that he's going to have a ton of people gathering around him. What's he going to do next? And, and we see that, but notice... Notice that Jesus continues to focus on teaching. And we see that right in verse 13. Jesus is out by the sea, and he's about to give his disciples a firsthand look at what it means to be fishers of men. I mean, you remember, that's what he told the assignment was going to be to the disciples back in chapter 1. They were going to fulfill this mission as they continued to follow Jesus. And to show them what this looks like, Jesus is about to catch a man named Levi. And I I love this, right? Because you have to wonder if the disciples at this moment were hoping for some kind of catch and release program when they see Jesus call Levi to follow him. You have to wonder if they were perplexed at this kind of a catch, right? Because think about it. Simon and Andrew, they're lowly fishermen. They're working a blue-collar job. No doubt they had to work hard for their money. And James and John were both fishermen as well. And even though their their father owned a fishing business, no doubt they still understood what it meant to work hard in this business. They had a a hard work ethic that probably resulted in like pride, a sense of pride, working hard for their money. Much as many of you work that way, right? We, We work hard, we break our back, and there's a pride that comes with that. Well, now... Look who they're asking to join this this team of men. The men, these men are from the working class of society. They do manual labor to get paid. Levi? 
Levi's a tax collector, which it, that may mean nothing to you as you sit here today, because here's the thing. When I think of tax collector, before I started reading the Bible, when I, when I got saved at the age of 24, I thought of Gladys Johns, and, and some of you might even know her. She's just this little old lady who comes from our town. She's a sweet lady. I'm like, why do we, why do we not like Gladys? And so, I mean... I get it, right? I never enjoyed sending her a check, but I actually never held her personally responsible every time I had to write out my property taxes. So I actually had love for her. I could never understand why are we so angry with tax collectors? Well, first off, it's a little different than in our time. They were hated, and it was not without good reason. First, no one likes to pay money to the government, right? But it's especially when the government is an oppressive authority like the Romans. Listen, those who collected taxes for such a government would be despised. Secondly, listen, remember, Levi was a Jew. He's a Jew, and he's collecting money for the hated Romans. And, and he would have been seen as a person who deserted his own people. He was a traitor. He would have been counted that by his neighbors, his friends, his family. There's no doubt that he would have been hated by everyone, even his own family. Because rather than fighting the Romans... He was actually joining forces with them. So, so imagine this. Imagine the hatred. You're, you're teaming up with the people that hate us. But you're one of us. But you're working for them. Okay, so, so start to get that in your mind. And third, it was common knowledge to know that a tax collector cheated people every time they collected. I shouldn't say every time. I, I don't know that. But they were notorious for gathering way more money than they should. And then they were allowed to keep anything beyond that. They understood that, that if they collected the amount of money that the Romans said, you have to collect this from the region, they give that to the Roman government. But they were allowed to keep any overages of that. So if you wanted to make some bank, you could. You just had to be a really wicked person. And because everyone already hates you because you're working with the you know, team of Romans, well, I might as well collect more money from you. They were corrupt. They were alienated from society, and they were hated. Because they're skimming off the top. To do that, they had to strong-arm people. They had to strong-arm them. And, and they, even though they made bank, there's no doubt that this separated them from the lower class. And, and so... We see this here. So even though Levi made this his career, he chose to make that his career, even though he would make money, relationally, he would be bankrupt. There's no way that he had a thriving life because everyone around him was just like, you're a despised creature. But that was all about the change on the craziest day of this man's life. It had to be no doubt the craziest day of his life. And it was no doubt the best day of his life. So, so picture this with me. Levi's sitting there. He's in his tax booth. And, and there's no doubt he could see this large crowd approaching. Maybe he could hear them. Maybe there was a little bit of a hum. I don't know. But as he's sitting there, and, and remember, he's not sitting in the tax booth greeting people with like a big smile saying, hey, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Like, if that's what you're thinking, don't think that. I imagine he probably had his head down. He probably didn't want to make eye contact with people as he's sitting in the tax booth because, first off, people probably weren't real kind to him as they were paying the taxes. It's not like they were just like, oh, here you go, Levi, have a great day. They probably were really ignorant towards this man. So he has his head down, maybe, and he's pretending to be busy so he could avoid all eye contact. But then notice, all of a sudden, the craziness stops right in front of his booth. It just stops right in front of his booth. And he could probably feel people staring at him, maybe. And, and what's he see as he slowly looks up? Well, number one, this is all conjecture. I don't know. But I have to think he sees Jesus because Jesus talks to him. So I know he does see him. 
And what does Jesus say to him? He looks up and he says, follow me. That's all he says. That's all we have. Now, maybe he said more than that, but he looks at Levi and Jesus says, follow me. And, and you've got to wonder, what is, what's going on in Levi's mind? Uh, okay, uh, follow you where? Uh, where are we going? How long will we be gone? I have to leave my tax booth. I don't know what's going on in Levi's mind because the Bible does not say. But I know this, when he was called by Jesus, this man immediately left his tax booth and he followed him. He followed him. And think about what's he leaving behind in that moment. He's leaving behind his source of income. He's leaving behind his position of power and security and some comforts to follow a man who what? Has no place to lay his head. Who has no place to lay his head. Follow me. And so he he gets up and he's walking away from his old life to follow Jesus into new life, into life abundantly. And by the way, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, to turn from your old life and to follow Jesus into life abundantly. And and you got to wonder what the disciples are thinking, because I bet they're not probably all that excited that they're calling Levi. These guys are hard workers. You're calling this scumbag? Really? Like, I can understand why you would pick us. We're hardworking fishermen. I mean, we're not the brightest people in the world, but we'll work for you. We're honest people. We work for a living. You're calling him? And they probably despised Levi. I don't know if they knew Levi. We have no way to know that. But if they did, they certainly would have hated him. And because Levi's tax booth is by the sea, and these men are fishermen, there's no doubt they probably have crossed paths. They might have had to throw some money in his tax booth often as they passed him. And Jesus is now calling Levi. (laughs) And I love it, right? Because what's it say? What's it say? It says, only thing that qualifies us to be followers of Jesus is what? That we're sinners who need grace. That's what we're learning here. This is, this, is the, this is the people Jesus calls to be followers of his. You want to be a fisherman of men, Jesus says? Well, guess what? You're, you're going fishing for some of the worst type of fish out there. We don't throw any of them back. We want them all. Get going. And I love this, right? Because sinners are the only kind of people that Jesus calls because, quite frankly, that's all there is. That's all there is. You, you, if you're, you're a sinner, we need grace. And I love that Jesus had come to call sinners to repentance. And Levi was sick. He was sick with sin. And he had the disease of sin. And Jesus just healed him and he said, follow me. And this is cause for great joy. I love, I love seeing people come to faith in Christ. I love seeing someone go from death to life. This is the greatest miracle of all that you'll ever see. It's even more amazing than having a man healed of paralysis. To see someone go from, I don't love God, I hate God, to, I love God, and they're singing Jesus songs on a Sunday morning like, I would have never done this three weeks ago. That's a, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And this is what's happening to Levi. And now, now listen, Jesus loves sinners. Do you remember Luke 15, where there's three parables? There's three parables in chapter 15 of Luke, and, and they all teach God's love for sinners. Every one of them. And, and by the way, side note, the scribes and Pharisees, they're fighting with Jesus in that story too. Uh, it's, it's pretty consistent actually throughout all the gospels. But first you have the shepherd, right? The shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one. And when he finds that one lost sheep, 
Listen to what it says. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So it doesn't stop there. He then tells a a story about a woman who lost a coin, and she's seeking diligently to find this coin. And when she finds it, Jesus says, just to show you this, just so I tell you there's joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes for the story that many of us know, the prodigal son, right? And, and he tells this story of a father whose son, his beloved son, runs away, and, and, he's, and he's, abandoned his, he's abandoned his father, He walks away from it. He asks for all the money so that he can just turn. And he goes and he spends it all in reckless living. And he finds himself one day and he's eating pig slop. And he's thinking, I should have stayed because even my my father's servants are treated better than this. But listen to the story when he returns home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I mean... This is all through the Bible. Do you get the picture? God loves sinners. (laughs) He loves them. And and when they come to saving faith, celebration should happen. And so, so what an amazing Savior we have in Jesus. He comes to get us. And I love that because it's not like Levi was sitting there thinking, man, I think when I'm done with work today, I'm going to go out and search for the Messiah. I'm going to really put my heart into getting to know God. No, he's sitting there dead in his sin, and Jesus comes to get him. And what's he do next? He celebrates. He celebrates because Jesus came to to seek and to save the lost. And if, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's because he came and he got you. I mean, be blown away by that. This is amazing news. And look how he responds. He responds with a party. Look at verse 15 back in Mark. And it says, And as he reclined at his table, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now listen, you might think, well, that doesn't say there's a party. The account in Luke is much more explicit of this same story. See, the first thing Levi does is throw a party, because in Luke's account... It says, Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others, and they were eating and drinking. Now, now listen, there's this time for cheer. When someone comes to saving faith, it's time for cheer. It's time for joy. It's time for happiness. It's time for laughter. It's time for feasting. This is what it means when you go from death to life. And he wanted to celebrate, and he wanted to rejoice. And guess what else he wanted? He wanted his friends to know Jesus. What better way to do that than, let's throw a party. That means this is what the man knew. And Levi is right to rejoice. However, the fact that Jesus is breaking bread with sinners is not as simple as it should be. I mean, his actions with spending time with this ragtag bunch of sinners would go beyond cultural acceptance for that time. And listen, during that time, spiritual leaders, they had to avoid those who were deemed sinners because... They had a clean image to maintain. Tax collectors would definitely fall into the category of sinners. 
Yet Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so he knew to reach the lost, he must have contact with them. And so there he is, he's reclining at Levi's dinner table. And and Jesus would have broken some serious cultural taboos in that moment, but he would not have sinned. He'd never sinned. But his presence there showed that he looked beyond cultural acceptance. He looked to the people's hearts and he loved them. He came to save sinners. And listen, unlike the Pharisees of that time who wrote people off simply because of their profession or their past, Jesus looked past all of that and he saw their need. And he went to their need. And he knew that they need me. They need a savior. And so he, listen, tradition, cultural bans, the disapproval of the religious uptight should never matter when we're going to bring good news to people who desperately need it. Church, this is why we're here. It's to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. And, And so... Think about it. What a great Savior we have in Jesus who sees people, not labels. He he sees them as sinners, but he's like, I want them for my children. I'm going to go to them. I love them. Jesus didn't let social status or cultural norms dictate the relationships he had with people. He went after lost sheep wherever they would stray. And, and listen, when Levi hosted a dinner party, Jesus gladly accepted this party with joy. There's no doubt. And in a wonderful opportunity, the good news of the kingdom, he was sharing it with people who most desperately needed to hear it. Jesus crossed all, nor- all the cultural norms. We see that throughout the gospel. He was not above spending time with the outcast. He spoke truth to sinners, and he loved them, and he offered them hope and a new life in him. And the same is true today. Listen, if you're a Jesus follower, you're living proof of this. You are living proof. And if you're sitting here, and you've answered the call to follow Jesus, well, then maybe you should rejoice Oh, think about the good news. No matter what this world throws at you, rejoice. Rejoice. All throughout the Gospels, we see rejoice. I don't feel it. It's never ultimately a feeling. It's we, we focus on truth until it affects our heart, but we rejoice. We live as a people who have a living hope. We do not live as people who don't have eternal hope. So rejoice and invite others to join you. Now, There's a great danger in allowing cultural norms to dictate who and how we reach the lost. We must reach out to this culture without selling out, though. And that's a fine line sometimes. And and, and so here's the thing. Listen, church, sick people need a physician. They need a physician. Lost sheep need a shepherd. Church, are we praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field? That's a real question. The next question is, are are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to go across the street even to get to know the neighbors you may not know? Are you willing to slow down your life and to see people? Are you willing to reach out into your communities, right, and be salt and light into these people's lives? You might be thinking, well, how do we do that? It seems so overwhelming. Maybe like Levi, we need to throw a party, and I'm serious. Like, parties are a good time. And, and, and I got an idea, right? So we throw a party. And if you've been saved recently, you should definitely throw a party because you're connected to more unbelievers than anyone else is going to be because the further you walk with the Lord, it just seems like you don't have as many unbelieving friends. So throw a party. Fire up the grill. Let's celebrate, right? And, and I got an idea. Invite your unbelieving friends. That's a really good idea. 
And then invite your family, people you love, and invite some Jesus freaks over. <laughs> You're like, uh, you know, I'm serious. Because Jesus and food always goes good together. We need to have a barbecue. Listen, Yes, uh, no, woo, woo it up. Because cause here's the thing, I think we always think of like church, okay, we're, the, we're inside the church and like this is what outreach looks like. No, it doesn't have to always be so programmatic. If you're born again, you have the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit, throw a party, drop the J word. I'm serious, how hard is that? But, but now here's the thing, let me tell you a quick story of how the Lord works in moments like this. So there was this time that at our home, we had uh, two, two men who were Hindu, okay? One Muslim man come over, and Brandon and Kendall were over with us, and we were enjoying a dinner. And, and I know it sounds like a joke, like, you know, two, two Hindus, one Muslim, two Christians walk into a bar. It's not like that. We were at the house. We're enjoying dinner. Tazir's whipping up some amazing food, and we're having a good time. And, and guess what? We had prayed, like, the week leading up to this, that the Lord would give us many opportunities to share the good news of the gospel. We weren't going to force it, so it wasn't like we were just eating steak and potatoes and, like, hey, let me tell you about why you're a sinner headed to hell. It wasn't like that. The Lord just made it so easy. It was like just having a conversation conversation because guess what we were doing we were having a conversation and so it was pretty wild how that worked and and one of the young men looks at me and he goes Mr. Scott that's what they call me I don't know it's weird uh how do you get to heaven in the Christian religion that's a great question so guess what we shared uh, you get to heaven in the Christian religion. But first I said, well, actually, before I share, how about you tell me how you get to, like, your nirvana or heaven in your religion? Oh, I'd be glad to tell you. So they start to tell me. And, and so the, the two Hindus share, the Muslim shares, and, and guess what all of their religiosity was about to get to heaven? It was all about what they did. It was all about their works. And I said, how are you guys doing on that? Because I already knew how they were living. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not great, are you? And they're like, no, no, not great. I said, let, let me tell you some really good news. So I start to share the gospel. One young man's getting upset. The other man's like, eh, I don't know about that. But the one dude who was the, the, the nominal Hindu looks at me, and he has like got the biggest smile on his face after I shared the gospel with him. And he goes, that is good news. That is good news indeed. He goes, because I knew that I had no chance to get to heaven in the way that my religion tells me. If this is true, this is the most amazing news ever. Ever. Praise God. And guess what? The other one, he got offended. And that's okay because they both heard the same news. You mean one person can hear it and be joyful and one, news, one, one can hear it and be like, I don't like that? Yeah, like all the time. So listen, we need to be creative in sharing the gospel. But I got to thinking, why, well, maybe why would people not want to do this? Well, many times, it's not because you don't like to party, right? Maybe, maybe it's because you like to party too much. Maybe it's because you like to party way too much, and it would be strange to invite your believing friends over and your unbelieving friends because you don't have the big keg and you're doing a keg stand that night. And that would be the norm for the people you hang out with. Maybe it's because you're just like in a big bowl of sin. And you don't want to have your unbelieving friends over to share Jesus with them because they don't even know you follow him. Maybe that's why. And if that's you, listen, if that's you, repent of your sin. Your friends need you to follow Jesus for their sake. Honor the Lord. Invite them over. 
But, and, and, and okay, now, here's where we've got to be careful, right? Because then there's some people like, yeah, tell them, Pastor. Like, I love when you yell at those sinners. Okay, I was there. I was there. You think I got saved by Jesus and it's like, woo! Yeah, no, it was in one sense. And in another sense, it totally was not. It was totally not. That's why everyone was like, you're a pastor? And their mouth dropped. And I'm like, I know. I had the same feeling. We have a really amazing God. Let me tell you about him. There's no room for pride here. We're all saved by grace. That's it. But maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, tell them about those people who are drinking and falling. No, well, maybe, maybe you don't have a party and invite your unbelieving friends over because you don't even know any unbelievers. I'm trying to hit you all, by the way, because I got hit this week <laughs> as I prepared for this sermon. But that's okay. Let the word of God cut you because he doesn't ever want to hurt his children. He brings healing. But if there's never times where we're turning from our sin, Man, I don't even know if you're walking with the Lord. The life of a believer is repentance and faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so maybe you're here and you're like, well, I would have people over, but I don't know any lost people. Now that could be, there's a bunch of reasons why that could happen. Perhaps, number one, with your church schedule, your life schedule, this schedule and that schedule, you don't have time to know anyone. Maybe it's time to pare it back. I'm serious. Maybe it's time to pare it back. But be intentional with the hours that the Lord gives you. And I know many times, it's not because you don't have time. Many times it's because, well, maybe you're doing a bunch of other things. But you can still reach people with the gospel in those moments. Quit separating your secular life from your sacred life. It's all sacred. So if you're on the golf course, talk about Jesus. If you're watching the pens downstairs, eating a sandwich, talk about Jesus Listen, everywhere you go, the Lord's with you. It's never like, well, we have to do it in this setting. No, listen, it's time to get your Jesus freak on and invite people to come to know the Lord. Remember, Jesus calls you to turn from sin, not from sinners. Well, we have to be a church that reaches the lost. Now, we, can't, we cannot save a soul. We have no ability to do that. But if you think we're not active in that part, you've not read your Bible. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Get in people's lives and love them. See, the way to avoid sin is to stick close to Jesus, not avoid sinners. Not avoid sinners. Now, there might be times in your life where you need to. So I need to say that just briefly. You might be in a season where you just come out of, you know, you just got saved yourself and all the people you knew were drug addicts. Okay, guess what? You don't need to be going to their parties. You don't need to be going to their parties. That's the last thing you need to do. But I can go to their parties because that doesn't have any effect on me. And if it's like, oh, it's Instagram. Pastor Scott was at a drug dealer's party. They need Jesus. I'll go. Instagram it off. I, don't, I mean, I got nothing to hide. The Lord sees all. I'm not going to participate in drugs, but I am going to tell them they have a Savior and He loves them. And He loves them. Oh, church, we got to get out of our comfortable little chair. It's easy for people to, churches, to get this all twisted up, right? Because many times we can fall into this subtle trap where, where we forget, like we, we remember to love our God, we remember to love the church, but we forget to love our sinful neighbors who need the love of Christ. If that's you, it's time to repent. It's time to turn from that. It's time to ask God for the grace to go and love the people that he desperately loves. 
Oh, he came to save them. He died for them. And we have good news. And they need it. So let's give it to them. It does not require followers of Jesus to have no contact with unbelievers. That's not a biblical thought. Quite the contrary. Listen, Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? Without jumping into a bowl of sin. And so should we be. And remember, listen, Paul expressed this in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you'd have to like go on a spaceship to, to like another world. It doesn't say that, right? But read this. He's saying, I'm not saying not to associate with sexually immoral people. Because if I told you that, you'd have to leave this world. That's all there is, apart from the grace of God. He's saying within the church. He's saying, no, go love them. That's what he's saying. He said, but don't, don't join their sin party, right? Don't do that. Or how about John? John 17, 15, in his high priestly prayer, he says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Oh, Jesus is with us to the end. We got nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We need to be in people's lives. Listen, Jesus has called us to be salt and light. But, but listen, don't forget the church in Ephesus started out and it was known for the most loving church. And in Revelation, it was saying, repent and believe and do the good works that you first begun. If you don't, I'll put out your lampstand. What's he saying? You're here for a cause. You're here for a purpose. We're here to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere by God's grace. And that will not, cannot happen until we go into this world and love them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And he'll be with us. He will be with us. In other words, we are in the world, but we are not of it. Church, remember that our place during this lifetime is not to withdraw from the world, but to engage the world with the grace of our Lord Jesus for their good. Don't avoid sinners because you're afraid to be contaminated by them, right? Now, I'm serious. We're going to have communion later. You need to be thinking, look, asking the Lord, praying right now, Lord, what are you asking me to repent of? Reveal my sin. Because I'm begging the Lord to just change us into a people who love him, who love one another, and who will love this world, this community he's called us to love. And I know many of you do, and I'm so thankful for that. What is it you need to repent of? Is it that you're still living a life of sin? Is it, is it because you're not, and when I say living a life of sin, no one reaches sinless perfection in this lifetime. I'm talking habitual sin, like you're constantly in it. Is it that you're never reaching your neighbors because you're sleeping with them? Or you're, or you're drinking it up with them? And it would be kind of strange to invite them to follow Jesus because they'd like, well, you're not doing that. So that'd be weird. Maybe you should first. And, and that would be many reasons why people don't, ever ask someone to follow Christ because your friends don't even know you're following Christ. Oh, it's time to just really get comfortable with your walk with the Lord. And if you're not, ask him to change your heart. He will. He will. The Holy Spirit is conforming all those who believe into his image. Turn from your sin. Enjoy the life with the Lord. Or are you in some strange holy huddle? I'm serious. Right? Are you like, like Amish without a beard and overalls, right? You got your own little colony of believers where you do like the 90th Bible study this week, 
where you learn the, like how to reach people in the Greek, but you actually never reach anyone. Maybe that needs repented of. I'm serious. But if you think that, no, I got it all going on, I don't know anyone like that except Jesus. So there's every one of us need to be on our face asking the Lord to change us, including me, starting with me. And let's reach people for the gospel. And let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the Lord while doing it. Back to verse 16 in Mark. Look what it says. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was coming and eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, now remember, the problem's not primarily the party. No, it's the guest list. Jesus was breaking bread with traitors to the nation. And, and so if they're traitors to the nation, these people are definitely traitors to God. And, and, and the tax collectors were like the most hated people. These people were considered to be God's enemies by the Pharisees. And there they are partying with the Messiah. How offensive. And don't think you wouldn't have been offended. I thought about this all week. I'm sure that we probably would have been offended. They thought they were doing everything right according to the law. And they couldn't understand. Why are you eating with these people? And there he is. But then again, the religious fun busters of any time always think in terms of good guys and bad guys. (laughs) We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. How do you know? They're smoking cigarettes still. Don't they know that's the temple of the Lord? And... And I got to tell you, man, like, I hope that we have a church that always has a filled up cigarette ashtray out front. I mean, I love it. I came in walking one day and there was like a lady out there smoking. I won't say her name. And she's like, oh, she like dies it out real quick. I'm so sorry, Pastor Scott. I'm like, why are you sorry to me? Why are you telling me you're sorry? I didn't say smoke them if you got them, but it came through my mind. I'm not here to change anyone's heart. I couldn't if I wanted to. I wanted the Lord to change your heart. But I said, just keep coming. Because I'm praying for you, girl. And, and listen, listen. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. And she never heard that before because she went to a really religious place where when they saw that, they wanted to hit her over the head with 1 Corinthians. Oh, let's not be those people. Let's be friends of sinners because that's our Savior. Right? So religion always looks at, at life like a ladder to be climbed, right? And, and when you do good things, well, then of course you move up the ladder closer to God. And, and the beauty of that is you get to look down on the people who are on the first rung, or maybe not even. They're like laying there flat, passed out. And that's religion. And there's just no room for that for gospel people. We are Christ's followers, and it is all of grace. And I'm so thankful Jesus is not like that at all. He does not condemn, he doesn't come to condemn the bad guys, right? We're condemned already. <laughs> listen, listen to John 3, 16 and 17. It's a very popular verse, but if you do not pay attention, you might miss the beauty that it is said in there. Listen, verse 16, for God so, what's it say? loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life praise God that's awesome verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to what condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him 
Listen, the world is condemned because it doesn't believe in Jesus as Savior. He came to save the world. He went to the cross to give his life as a ransom for those who needed salvation. Oh, thank you, Lord. What religious people miss, there, there are no good guys and bad guys. There's King Jesus and the rest of us. That's it. We're all sinners in need of grace. In case we haven't forgot that. I don't think we have. Every day we sin. There's not a day you have not went, I guarantee it, in your whole life where you did not sin. You think you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul every day perfectly? Mm, no, we're not. You can't. Not on this side of eternity. I need grace every day, and so do you. And there are tons of people in this world who need that same grace, and they've got it all twisted up because people have told them a bunch of wrong things. They taught them morality instead of the gospel. They taught them to behave, and they don't have power to behave. Why? Because they're dead in their sins. They need to be made alive. Do you have the power to do that? No. But guess what? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Preach the gospel to them. Share the good news. Invite them to church. Have a barbecue. Love them. Pray that the Lord would save them. He delights to do that. Church, this is what we're to be about. Oh, God, let it be so. And yet, while we're still enemies, God's enemies, Jesus comes. And rather than bashing us over the head with more law, he takes the bashing for us. I love the gospel. And instead, listen, the good news, listen, this good news is only so good if you understand that the bad news is so bad. We were under the wrath of God, and Jesus came and bore the wrath of God so that we could be adopted into his family. That's the gospel. You, me, and everyone else and that you think is better than, listen, other people, we deserve wrath, and Jesus bore it for us. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. So receive Christ. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners, Jesus said. Listen, Jesus continues to destroy all these molds. Jesus is a great physician who is able to heal and restore life to the most desperate, ruined, bankrupt, hopeless sinners ever. And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, that's us. Oh, that's us. That's good news. So have you come to Jesus for a healing of your sick soul? Seriously. That, that's, a, that's a real question. I'm afraid some of us play church and you've not come and laid down your life and received Christ as your Savior. Let today be the day of salvation. You might think, well, that's a strange thing. I couldn't ever tell people that. I've been coming to this church for a year and a half. There's people who've got saved in new membership classes. That's a real thing. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. Oh, if you've been pretending to follow the Lord for five years and Jesus saved you today, and you come out and said, I was faking it, but the Lord saved praise God. Now go invite your friends to a picnic and invite some other friends over and share the good news and tell them what the Lord's doing in your life. Because listen, either your sinfulness or your goodness can keep you from coming to the Lord. That's the whole point. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, the, Martin Luther called this the great exchange. 
right? He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness because no one gets into heaven unless you're perfect. Any perfect people out there? I didn't think so. The perfection we get is from the blood of Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. So when we go out and when we tell people, listen, Christ loves sinners. How do I know? Because he went to the cross and he shed his blood so that you might come to know the Father. Jesus came. Jesus died to bring sinners to God. This is the gospel. So let us go. Let us be bold. For those who have been saved by God's grace, ah, Rejoice in the gospel daily. It's not, the, it's not just the news that gets you into heaven. It is the news that sustains you until the day you go to be with him in full glory. Invite people. Compel them to come in. Do you remember the story in Luke 14? Where, listen, I'm going to read it. It's Luke 14, 15 through 24. Jesus is having, once again, a very heavy dialogue with the religious people of that time. And he's talking about uh, inviting people to a dinner banquet. So listen to this parable. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. For the first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said to him, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Listen, Jesus is inviting everyone to a party. He's inviting everyone to dinner. And guess who are the people that get to go out and start to hit the highways and the byways? His church, his bride. The master of the house is calling us to invite everyone to this great banquet in kingdom living. Notice, some have pathetic excuses for not coming. I'm too busy golfing. I'm too busy building my own little kingdom. I'm too busy work. Listen, whatever that excuse is, Jesus is like, okay, you don't want to come? That's fine. But this seat will be filled. I'm going out, and I'm inviting everyone, and I'm telling them to come and dine with me because in my kingdom, that's as good as it gets. You'll never have another beautiful invitation like this. Do not wait. The master's not satisfied with a semi-full banquet. No, he wants every seat at the table to be full. God invites all sinners to come and to dine with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet so many people want nothing to do with that meal. Church, we must go and compel them. That word compel, compel them to come in. Compel them to do that. We must be friends of sinners. We must be friends of sinners. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. So much so, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They called him this, hang in there, because it was true. He was a friend of sinners, but he was not a glutton and he was not a drunkard. 
But this just goes to show, like they called him that because of who he was hanging out with. Right? So if you're accused of that, let it be an, acu- an accusation. Don't let it be true. Oh, let's get to know these people. Jesus welcomes sinners to come to him. He has compassion on them. He loves them. And you and I know that if we've come to know the Lord Jesus because we are sinners who needed the same grace. Right? So this is important for us to get. Listen, if Jesus was a friend of sinners, we should be too. So three keys to being friends of sinners. You guys ready? Listen. Find people interesting. Find them interesting. Get to know them. They have a name, right? We got to be okay with the outcast of this world. We have to be. This means that we're going to associate with the marginal. We're going to associate with the poor, the destitute, those often overlooked by society. Go there. Be with these people. Get to know them, serve them, learn from them. They have stories. They are interesting. They're humans made in God's image. And God loves them. And he delights to know, for them to know him. Take an interest and get to know them. Get to know their names, ask them questions, seek to love them. This would mean that you have to get out of your comfort zone. There's no doubt. It, it, it all, listen, you and I have the privilege to love people. What a joy it is. And we love because he first loved us. We're loving from the strength that God provides. We have to slow down. I know I do. I have to slow down. When I'm at the grocery store, the people checking me out, they have a name. The Lord loves them. And I need to get to know their name. How strange would it be to ask someone, can I pray for you? Try it. You might be surprised. And and they have stories. They have hurts. They have souls. Invite them to church. What's the worst they could say? No. Get to know these people. And then we have to rest in God's approval. God's approval of you, not the approval of others as we seek to love. And I know this can be challenging because remember, the, the aim of our charge is love, not popularity, not to be on the cool list. Y- you and I have to get over ourselves. And I say all of us because many times I think we're afraid to invite people because we're like, well, what will they think? Who cares what they think? Seek to love them. And if they think that you're strange, that's going to (laughs) happen. Listen, Jesus was not a fan favorite either. In case you forgot, they crucified him. And and by the way, I think sometimes we can be walking with the Lord so long that we can forget. It is a strange thing that we're kind of asking people to come and do, right? Because, okay, hey, so let me tell you. So Jesus, yeah, he was born from a virgin, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's 100% God and 100% man, but they don't commingle and that's hypostatic union. Never mind. Let me forget that. And we move on to the next point. Um, he never sinned. He was fully perfect. They crucified him, okay? And he was dead, but he was only dead three days. Then he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he's coming back and he's coming back on a white horse and like he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and he's coming to get all of those he loves. That's his bride, the church. Yeah, we're redeemed. And do you want to follow me with him? It is strange. It is strange. Like, could you imagine if someone just walked up to you and said that? But that's what we're calling them to do. Follow me. There's a Savior. He died to pay for your sins. And he's coming back. Oh, and he wants you to have dinner with him. (laughs) What? Yes, you, you have to get over yourself. You have got to quit taking yourself so serious. Now, maybe we won't present it that way, but listen, if you are always liked by everyone around you, you're not sharing the gospel with them. You're just not. If you think 
that everyone you come in contact with and start sharing about the good news of Christ, everyone's just going to be like, oh, you're just so wonderful. Not going to happen. They will hate you (laughs) at times. They will hate you. And that's okay. That's why we have to be so grounded in our identity as God's children. And if the rest of the world hates me, it's okay. I'm going to seek to love them. I'm going to seek to love them. Even when they don't like them, I'm going to seek to love them more. And we need to do that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. It will cost you to love like this, people. But we must die of ourselves and live for God. Lastly, share the gospel. Share the good news of Christ. He's not calling you to an easy life, but he is calling you to life abundantly. Share the good news that Christ died for sinners to bring sinners to God, that you might have relationship with God the Father. Tell your story. Tell how the Lord saved you. You all know that. You all can share your testimony. Do it. Do it. And pray that the Holy Spirit would show up and save these people. Here's what I know, and I've told you this before, and it's true today as it was when I told you before. I have shared the gospel at times where I thought, well, that was about as good as it could be. I thought the sky was going to separate and angels would sing. And they would fall to their knees and weep tears of joy and say, of course I want your Jesus. And they looked at me and said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then I have stumbled, I have fumbled. I'm like, I don't even know if I like pronunciated Jesus properly. And they're like, tell me more. And I'm like, okay, like this really has nothing to do with us here. God, you're great. But that won't happen until we open our mouths. If you think they're going to look at your wonderful way of life and follow Jesus, Mormons probably behave way better than we do, and they're not leading anyone to Jesus. You've got to share. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Share this good news. Listen, I, I guess I, I want to say this. There's coming a day when we will see and we will feast with Jesus in heaven on earth. That that day's coming. So I want to end with this, church. I want to exhort you. Like, we have a short window of opportunity before we're with him in glory. We're with him in glory. It's just a mist. It's like that. So let's just, let's spend our lives loving the Lord, loving one another, and loving the people he's called us to love in this town. Let's pray many people come to faith. He delights to do it. And, And I'm so excited to run with this church. I'm so excited. So like this summer, when we have all the different festivities that happen out on 7th and Philly, I got an idea. Let's go invade them. Like, let's go have a good time. Let's eat food. Let's laugh. Let's enjoy life together as a church in the community. They're already having parties. We don't even have to pay for them. We just have to show up. And what? Invite them to know Jesus pray for these people. We could gather here before the the actual event happens. We could all pray together. We could have a little time in the word and then scatter. Gather and scatter. That's what I hope to do this summer. Will you join me in that? Will you join me in that? Will you seek to see people come to faith? Would you be okay with just being silly at times and having people think they're weird? Yep, we are. But we're loved and we're covered in grace and it's all good. Right, will you guys join me in that this summer as a church and throughout the rest of the year? Let's seek to love the people that the Lord came to save, which is everybody. He loves everybody.